0: One of my favorite things to say when I'm standing in front of a gathered crowd for a wedding is that there are no seat fillers at weddings. I remember the first time that I was uh, learning about the concept of those seat occupiers at award ceremonies. You know, you've you've probably heard about this, where someone, some famous person, has to go to the bathroom, right? So they get up and leave their seat, and and someone swoops in and sits in that seat smiling for the cameras so you don't see an empty crowd or holes in the crowd uh, at those award shows that are televised, or the people who fill in those very expensive seats at a sporting event. That they couldn't sell, uh, but they didn't want them to have uh, to be empty, so instead of giving them to you or me, they have people paid to sit there and watch the sports. So those are seat fillers, right? But at weddings there are no people who are simply there to fill the seats. This has been especially true at the few weddings I've been to during the pandemic, right, where everyone had to think about what is that crowd going to look like? How are they going to pare down that, uh, that invite list uh, even further? And even during whatever we want to call it, ordinary times prior to the pandemic, sometimes it's the venue that limits this, the number of people or maybe, of course, the budget. But then now it's, it's safety, And so, when I'm welcoming people to the wedding, I'll offer this reminder. I also think it's funny because so many weddings are delayed because people are rushing to get in, right? Who knows why? They're either there an hour early or they're there five minutes before and they're running late. People are coming in. They're hustling and bustling. They've been worrying about what to wear. How do they find the venue? Did they bring the gift? All of those things. So, they're coming in and they're expecting to watch a wedding, And so I remind them there are no seat fillers. Now, how many of you have been to a wedding where you didn't even know the bride or the groom? It's happened to me a few times, but even then... There are no seat fillers. You're part of this gathered body. And so why do I say this to them? I say this to them because, for one thing, they're going to be called upon during the ceremony, and I know this doesn't happen with all weddings, but it pretty much happens with every wedding I've, I've uh, done, where I ask the, the congregation, those gathered, to offer support verbally, publicly, to this couple getting married. It's an interesting fact that in most states, you can't get married without an audience, you can't get married without an audience. Sometimes the audience only needs to be one or two people, witnesses, um, other than the uh, efficient and the parties getting married, of course. But in most states, it's also that every one of these weddings is a matter of public record. They have to be filed publicly. Why is that? It's, it's interesting, too, because it's only in very extreme situations. You have to get a court order if you don't want it to be public, So, in a sense, the presence of that audience, that presence of that audience and that public pronouncement of marriage, and what what I care more about, again, is the public expression of support, a pledge of encouragement. All these things are important parts of the ritual of marriage, and so that's why I always come back to this reminder, this reminder to all of the guests gathered that they're not simply seat fillers. They're surrounding the couple with love and encouragement, each one of them. And not only that, they bring with them different connections, different relationships, different ways that brought them to that day. And I always get amused, or often get amused at weddings when there are these conversations that happen at Uh, between people who are trying to figure out, I know you from somewhere else, but how do we both have this wedding or this bride and groom in common? The strange connections people find, or my favorite are the stories of people who meet their future spouse at a wedding. That's always kind of fun. But no matter who they are, they're essential to the wedding simply by being there. And again, this all happens because there are no seat fillers at weddings. Just as there are no seat fillers at weddings, just as everyone matters for the moment that they're there, as everyone participates, as everyone bring themselves to that delicate tapestry, which will be memorialized in photos and memories, in the same way, in a very similar fashion, in the church, in this church, there are no pew fillers. There are no pew warmers, no seat fillers. Each one who walks in the door on any given Sunday, whether this is your third time here or your three thousandth time in this space, each person brings themselves to this space and this place, at each and each one, each person sitting at home or in their car or worshiping wherever they might be worshiping, brings themselves to this time and moment of worship. And with that, with the bringing of oneself, the, the choice that one makes to come to church, to be with others, bring, each person brings with them certain things, certain characteristics, abilities, gifts, which they bring, now listen closely to this, right, which they bring not of their own worth or their own doing. But each of these gifts, these these things we bring, these characteristics we bring, each of these gifts comes from God. This is what Paul is essentially saying to this church in Corinth. And when Paul's writing to the people of this church, he's seeking to unify a church that has some tension around its identity. There's a lot of comparison going on among the people A lot of dissension about what it means to be a church and what it means to live together in community. There's a divisive nature of community that's described in Corinthians, in the early parts especially, and it's not dissimilar to conflict we see in so many other settings, especially today, whether it's family, school communities, organizations, or even online communities in which we may be engaged. When people are gathered, however they're gathered, a variety of elements can cause them to be in tension with one another. And again, this happens for a number of reasons. It can happen because of disagreements about issues, issues like political positions or, or disagreements that are, that are more personal in nature, people who just don't get along with one another, right? But part of the challenge in Corinth is a little different. It's a little different. It's something we might not be able to relate directly to, but, which, but something which I do think has fingerprints in all churches, including modern-day churches and sometimes even this one. The people in Corinth were arguing about who had better abilities, better gifts when it came to the things that were seen as important in the church. Who had more evidence in them of being set apart with skills or gifts of a spiritual nature. Now, those who were seen or even who put themselves out as being more gifted were often then placing themselves above others. They were seen as enlightened, perhaps, or, or at least worthy of a higher status. And so, people would look around at one another in the church, and they'd, they'd start to separate themselves, us and them. And those that, that ended up having more power, there was a correlation between their power and what they were what were seen as spiritual gifts, spiritual skills. And then there was a correlation even there to affluence. I read this week that those who had the ability—a very specific spiritual gift that Paul mentions—the ability to translate or interpret the words of those who were speaking in in tongues in other languages. This is a um, a practice that was going on not just in the Christian world but in the pagan world leading up to uh, leading up to the time that. Um, that this early church was forming, and people who were able to translate, understand what other people were saying, were almost often the most wealthy. They had higher social status, but they also had more money. And so Paul's writing to this situation. This is what he's writing to this church. And he starts off this section. After after going into a whole bunch about discord and and the, the dissension and the disunity, he takes a little shift and he says, Okay, okay, we've got to talk about these spiritual things. Let's talk, because we've got a problem here. Rather than focusing on all these other problems, these problems of dissent, the problems of sin becoming apparent in the discord in relationships... Problems that led to Paul's being there in the first place, right? Paul's interaction, intervention, if you will, with this church. And problems that he's really laid out throughout this letter leading up to this point. Rather than continuing to focus on these problems, Paul makes a very bold statement. And and that is a a statement that's um, as much to that first church as it is to you and me, to all churches. Paul writes that we need to talk about these things. We need to talk about these spiritual things, these gifts that come from God. And he, and he says that. He says that all gifts, all of these gifts that come, these, these, these things that we might call skills, there's not a great word for it. Skills, things is the translation sometimes, but gifts is the word that's most often used and used by Paul. He says all these gifts, all ability, all ability to step into the mystery that is the divine, the mystery of of the church, the mystery of living as one's created in God's image, all of it, all that we bring that is good to the community, all of this comes from God. Foundationally, it all comes from God. First and foremost, no matter how special you think someone is or gifted or able when it comes to these uh, practices of faith or their understanding of Scripture or their ability to pray— no matter how tempting it is to elevate them and how easy it is to want to elevate them above ourselves or, or to uh, defer to them, you know how the self-talk can go. So-and-so is good at praying. I'll leave the praying to them. I'll never be like them. Or so-and-so understands Scripture so much better than me. No matter how much we want to give people credit for that, all of it comes from God. Now, why does this matter? It matters because sometimes we see people as accomplishing or or gaining spiritual gifts for themselves, spiritual skills. And if we see it as coming from their own work, that's why we might be tempted to put the individual on a pedestal. We say, wow, they are special. They are different. But pedestals, placing people on pedestals, pedestals are lonely places, and they can also be dangerous places. Pastors are often put on pedestals, or they often like being on pedestals, I think, but regardless of whether they like it or not, they often find themselves on pedestals and it can get comfortable there. But this isn't limited to clergy. Oftentimes, people are unable to be their authentic, searching, struggling selves because others see them as something more pious or set apart. But that leads to the second observation about Paul's instructions here about these spiritual things. Not only do all spiritual gifts, all of these things come from God, but everyone, everyone, all people who are willing to utter those simple words declaring Christ as Lord, all of them receive gifts From the Holy Spirit. All of us, all of you, you have received gifts by nature of your willingness to journey with God. Each one of us, you, you, have received gifts that are from the Holy Spirit. Not of our own doing, not of our own accomplishment. These aren't cosmic merit badges that are earned by, uh, but these are gifts. These are gifts by nature of our willingness to be a part of God's story. Paul writes it this way. He says that a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person, each person, for the common good. Each one of us, each one of you, is essential. Each is essential. There are no pew fillers because you have a gift from God, a gift of the Holy Spirit that needs to be brought to the surface. It needs to be brought out into the world because without your gift, without your contribution, without your offering that comes from God alone, without it, the common good suffers. We suffer. What then are these gifts? Paul, in this section of, of Corinthians, is talking about spiritual gifts, spiritual things and he describes some of these gifts here. He doesn't limit this list, and he'll, he'll talk about other things elsewhere. But, but right here he says some are going to have wisdom. Some will have the ability to bring healing. Some will have faith and others' spiritual sight, the ability to see things beyond what the eye sees. And throughout Scripture, there are so many other, other, other gifts described, gifts of the Holy Spirit described, gifts like generosity Compassion, the gift of evangelism, of of sharing good news with others, gifts like service, mercy, hospitality, the gift of prayer, the gift of worship. And friends, I look out among you and I see these gifts. Together, these gifts with other gifts, other gifts described throughout Scripture, the gift of teaching, the gift of leadership, the gifts of helping others. Together, these very practical characteristics, gifts, skills, together, along with these more Mysterious spiritual gifts, the ones that Paul's describing in this reading, together, these all come from God, given to the church through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit giving us these gifts, individually. Paul writes that all these gifts, all these gifts are produced by the one and same Spirit who gives what the Spirit wants to each person. Friends, the good news for us this day, and how wonderful is this news, that it isn't a question or a matter of whether you have gifts from the Holy Spirit. That's not the question. The question isn't a question of if, it's a question of what. What are those gifts? What is the gift that you have? What are the gifts that God has given to you for the common good of this community of faith, the common good, indeed, of humanity, for the common good of God's good, good creation? How has the Holy Spirit dwelt within you, embodied you, and given you gifts that you are called to bear out in the world? And almost almost more importantly, for you to be asking yourself, how has the Holy Spirit dwelt in your neighbor? The one sitting next to you, the one sitting around you, the one worshiping with you online. How has the Holy Spirit dwelt in your neighbor? What are the gifts that you see in your mates, your fellows on the journey? How can you see their gifts and help them to see their gifts? Celebrating what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life, but also celebrating How the Holy Spirit has blessed you through their gifts. What does it look like when this diverse mosaic of gifts comes together? And how do we and how can we as a church be the place where God's handiwork is on display? On display as we celebrate the gifts of one another and as we seek to be a place and a people who learn and love, and grow because of our gifts and because of the gifts of those around us. A few moments ago, I pointed out the connection that Paul makes between our receiving of gifts and our confession of faith, our profession of faith, Paul uses this phrase, he says, Jesus is Lord. This is seen as one of the earliest confessions of faith and one of the most simple professions of faith. In fact, membership in the Presbyterian Church is pretty much limited to this basic faith statement. There's not more that we ask. There are a few questions about commitment and living it out, but really when it comes down to our belief-wise, the basic foundation of our faith is the proclamation of Jesus as Lord. And for Paul, this is central to the presence of the Holy Spirit in bringing gifts to bear in us. But there's a little bit of an interesting movement that happens here, because what Paul says is, without the Holy Spirit within you, you, you can't utter those words, Jesus is Lord. They're, they're yoked together. But then, without saying Jesus Lord, we don't see these gifts come out in us. And so, it's all interconnected and interrelated. If we utter Jesus Lord and we, we mean it, whether we fully understand it or not, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And so, what's really happening here then is that these gifts, these gifts were given through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, these gifts that were called to bring to community, They're the way in which we begin to understand more and more the mystery of our faith, the mystery of our confession, the mystery of what it means that Jesus is Lord. It's through living in community, through cultivating the gifts of the Spirit in our own lives and in one another. It's through all of this that more and more of Jesus becomes revealed to us. We begin to understand Jesus more. Confessing Jesus as Lord is, is the beginning, but it's not the conclusion of our profession of faith. And in order for that journey to continue on, in order for the journey to continue, we need to be about the business of being together as a church community, looking for gifts in one another. And how do we do this? One of the ways we do this is through the study of Scripture because that's where these gifts are revealed. They're, they're shown to us, like this text today, like other texts that, that give us indicators of what it looks like to embody Christ in our actions, in our lives, in the way we live. And those, those embodiments come out in these gifts that we have, looking for these gifts in Scripture where the gifts are described and shown. Utilizing prayer as a tool to help us to identify the gifts in ourselves and others. Praying for God to reveal them, to make them more clear to us. Not being confused by things that, that can be skills that are honed, but looking for gifts gifts that, that do what, what Paul describes them as doing, which is, is bringing fruit in the benefit to the common good, bearing fruit to the benefit. And so we pray that God would reveal those things to us, help us to see them. And then we have to get to know people, to truly talk to them, to hear their stories, to understand their journeys, because those gifts are often revealed in the journey often revealed to us in ways that people may not see for themselves, walking alongside others. And then we look for the ways that we can take those gifts, our gifts, the gifts of others, and bring them into community, growing together, growing closer to one another, and closer to God, together, as Paul writes, for the common good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.